Thank you, Devin. I don't know if you noticed, but this is an election year. Have you uh, figured that out? And uh, come November, we're going to make a lot of choices. And I just wanted to announce to you this morning, I'm not pro-choice, I'm pro-right choice. And as you think about uh, your life, uh, your life is filled with making decisions. And I, I really urge you to, to really think through and pray through not only what you're going to be doing in November, uh, but through any opportunity you have to, to make a choice that makes a difference. You know, it's interesting, uh, a number of years ago when uh, the first Bush was running for re-election against um, Bill Clinton, uh, he had the highest uh, approval rating you can imagine early in the year. And then uh, right during election time, it just plummeted. And at the end, he, he finally figured it out. In fact, it was kind of used as a kind of a, the comedic term around the nation is it's, it's the economy stupid. And somehow he missed it. He missed it that people are concerned about their pocketbook, their money. Have you noticed in Orange County now it's the highest gas rate, uh, I guess, in history? Anybody else notice that? Okay. Costs a little bit more to, uh, to go from one point to another point. You know, money, it, money is important to us. I, I was thinking about these, or I read this story about these two uh, ladies. They were in their late 20s, early 30s, and uh, they didn't get to see each other all the time. So when they did get together, they would always kind of catch up on what was going on. And as uh, they were uh, meeting together, uh, they, get, they got to, to the point of asking about their dating life. And one had not uh, been too successful recently, and the other was so excited. Uh, she thought she had just met the right person. In fact, he's so handsome, he's so kind. And after four dates last, uh, last night, he took, him, took me out to a very uh, expensive dinner. And I heard those four words I've just been dreaming to hear. Uh, to which her friend said, will you marry me? Oh, no, put your money away. <laughs> uh, you know, we're all concerned about who's going to pick up the bill, right? Well, as we think about it, I want you to urge as we hear all the sound bites and we hear all kinds of things about uh, what's going to affect our economy and who can lead us best that way. Uh, there, there are more choices than just looking at what's going to happen to us in the economy. And, and we're going to see some of that this morning as we look in, in the passage. But God is concer- concerned about our choices. And he wants us to make right choices. And there is no real divide between the secular and the sacred or the spiritual. Every part of who we are is, uh, is part, if we're a, a Christ follower, ought to be impacted by our faith. We ought to be influenced by how God sees things. And so every decision we make reflects on whether we're trusting God or believing God or we're just going our own way. And we're going to see this with, with two people who were called of God uniquely to start uh, the new program for God to, to draw people into faith. And it was Abraham and Sarah, or Abram at that point, and Sarai. And, and we're going to see that they struggle with choices just like we do. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 16. After last Sunday, my, my, my parents who uh, come to the second service, my dad afterwards, they were over at our house. He said, you know, you know son, you, you speak too fast. And I said, no, you just listen too slow. Okay. Um, so I don't know this morning. We got a lot to cover. Uh, but, uh, and we're also going to remember the cross and the Lord through uh, communion. And if you've never been with us in the first service uh, at communion, uh, basically it's a, it's a self serve, uh, not to be independent, but to think that God wants you to be prepared in your own heart. And so as we conclude our time in the word, we're going to give opportunity as you pray and reflect to take the elements back uh, to where you sit and then remember the Lord for the bread and the cup. And we encourage you to remember the most important choice that anyone can make. And that is, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the offer of life that only he can give? 
But this morning we're going to be looking at, at choices. And we're going to see some choices that, that uh, we need to learn from. In Genesis chapter 16, we again have, have the journey of Abram and Sarai. And, and they're, they're looking forward to what God's going to do in their life. But I don't know about you, but sometimes when God delays, we think that God somehow is denied uh, what we've been asking for, or what maybe he has promised, and somehow he has chosen to change uh, what he has told us that he's going to do. And so Sarai and Abram was at that point, particularly Sarai kind of takes the initiative. And it's great to take initiative, but you need to remember that we ought to be walking with God, not behind him too far or ahead of him, because we need to recognize we need to be right by his side as we go through life. And so as we think about right choices, the first one I want you to, and we're just going to use some, some statements to kind of hang uh, the passage on. But first of all, I say about right choices, never choose to do wrong to achieve what you think is right. Never choose to do wrong to achieve what you think is right. In Genesis chapter 16, we have these words. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And that not only was a challenge for them spiritually because they had believed that God had promised them a child to be the parents of a great nation and actually later on the father of many nations. But also it was it was a disgrace to be a, a wife uh, in that day and never be able to bring forth a male child. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, see now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Now, right now, who did she put the blame on that she had no children? God. It couldn't be her. It couldn't be Abram. It had to be God. Um, And so she puts the blame on God. And so she feels she needs to help God out. So Sarai said to Abram, see, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go to my into my maid and perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And at that very point, what Sarai did is she decided to do something wrong because she believed that she needed to produce that which she thought was right. She, she felt that she had to have a male child. And not only for her own personal needs, but also to fulfill what God had told her was going to happen between Abram and Sarah. But you know, it's interesting, I was reading about uh, the man who wrote on this text, Griffith Thomas, who's written a number of uh, commentaries. He wrote this, Sarah's motive, interesting enough, was good. Uh, she was being very genuine up front. And she involved self-sacrifice because she knew this was going to be a challenge for her to be able to withstand that kind of pressure, pressure having her maidservant bear the child for their family. But the problem was that what she was doing, she was sinning against God, against Abram, against Hagar, and against herself as well. And so as we think about life, we need to always ask ourselves the question, is what I am doing right Am I somehow making the in justify the means? You know, how was she just how was she sinning against God? Because she was well aware that God had established in the union between a man and a woman that he ought to cleave and hold on to each other. And so she was breaking God's commandment. And in reality, as you think about her sin, not only was a sin of of leading Hagar and Abraham into a sexual sin, but it was really a sin of unbelief. God, God, I can't trust you that you will come through. And in many ways, that's the greatest uh, sin is when we don't trust God to come through what he has promised to do. It was not only a sin against God. Obviously, it was a sin against Abram because he was, she was now leading her 
graphic, he was leading, he, she was leading him graphically into, into, into sin. And I would throw this out too as well as you think about making right choices. Sometimes the temptation to do that which is wrong, to produce maybe what you think might be right or have some positive impact, the sources of temptation might surprise you. It, it might be the people closest to you who will influence you in the wrong way. And this was Abram, who, who had actually done basically the same thing to her. Remember what Abram did earlier? You know, he, he tried to lead her in a sin. We'll look at that in a few moments. But obviously, even not only was it a sin against God, it was a sin against Abram leading him into sin. It was a sin against Hagar. Now, on that day, and, and we have some of that in your Bible study this week as you prepare for life groups, it was a common custom in the larger culture that if, <coughs> excuse me, that if you had problem bearing children that if you had servants that if uh the the man were to to uh, lay with the servant the children that were going to be produced would be not the children of the servant it would be the children of the man And, and so what she did to him was to try to force him into the culture that day and actually what she did to hagar is made hagar just property uh, just something that she could use however she wanted. It was a front to the dignity that, that God had created Hagar in the image of God. And of course, it was a sin to herself as well because she had ruined the sanctity of marriage for herself. As we think about going through life, and it can be implied in so many areas of life, that, that we need to be convinced that we will choose not to do wrong because somehow we think there will be a right result from it. The end never justifies the means. But then the story moves on. In fact, the next next phrase in verse two says this. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, here's here's something to take home and, and meditate about. Sometimes a wife shouldn't listen to her husband and a husband shouldn't listen to his wife. And I heard. No, amens out there, right? <laughs> You know, this, this is kind of a controversial point, but, you know, it is true. Sometimes women just don't listen to your husband. And sometimes men don't listen to your wives. And I see Lori, who's just been married recently, shaking her head like this, all right? You don't mind if it goes one way, but not the other way, all right? But there is a, there is a principle in God's word that, that we are to submit to people relationally and people in leadership over us. But there is a line that we do not cross. And at this point, Abram heeded the voice of his wife, uh, the, the pressure of the one so close to him compelled him to do what he knew was wrong before God. Uh, th- this is this is not a a new story in Genesis, in Genesis chapter three, verse 12. We had that familiar um, response when God asks Abram, uh, how did this all happen? How come you ate the forbidden fruit? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. You know, why did why did Adam eat of the forbidden fruit? Because he did what to his wife? He listened to his wife. And sometimes you remember, I don't know, this happened to me a lot as a parent. When, when I would uh, give lovingly, graciously um, uh, suggestions to my kids, orders to my kids, right? And, they, and once I told them to do something and they just stood there or sat there, one of the first responses out of my mouth is, did you hear me? Are you listening to me? 
Because in my mind, it was that if I say it, all they have to do is hear it. I know they're going to what? Do it. Now, that, of course, was a faulty premise. But, but that was in my mind. If they hear it and listen to it, of course. I'm such a loving, gracious, wise, all, not all-knowing. But anyway, Father, of course they're going to respond to what I say. As you think about it, this was the idea here. In fact, actually, the word in the, in, the, in the New Testament for obey comes from a word from which we get here. It's the word akuo, acoustics. And when a person hears something from God, it means automatically they ought to obey. But we need to recognize there is a higher authority into our life that who we listen to, who we really hear. And Adam shouldn't have listened to his wife at that point to eat of the forbidden fruit. And Abram should not have listened to his wife to commit adultery with her servant. But, you know, there might have been a reason why Sarai was quick to do that. Because, quite frankly, Abram had already set the example. And that's why it works both ways. Remember, as we were in Genesis chapter 12, Abram speaking to Sarai, Please say you are my sister, then it may be well with me for your sake and that, may, that I may live because of you. If you don't remember that story and if you don't work with us on Sunday, basically it was simply this. Abram was going into Egypt and he was afraid that they would take his life because of his wife. His wife was so hot that they wanted her. And he said, somehow if, if I am known as your sister, they'll reward me rather than take my life. What simply was Abram telling Sarai to do? To what? To lie. Let me tell you, I don't care who tells you to do this. If someone tells you to lie, don't listen to them. Because it's never right to do wrong. It's always wrong to do that which is not right. And there are times we need to not listen to people who are telling us to sin. In Acts chapter 5, we have that principle and this was actually people who were trying to tell people not to say something, particularly about their, their faith. And it was the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish nations. And they said to, to uh, the disciples, uh, saying, did, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And, and, of course, they didn't even want to say the name of Jesus. That was, they just did not want to give any public statement about this man who had called them out and called us all out as being so short of God's standard that we needed someone to come and pay the penalty for our sins. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, the teachings about this man, and intend to bring, again, this man. Who, who is this man? It's, it's Jesus. Jesus' blood on us. So they are being told not to say anything about Jesus. Now, should they listen to this? Should they heed this voice? They were in positions of responsibility and authority uh, over Peter and, and John and the disciples. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey. And you could use the word listen. We ought to listen to God rather than men. As we think about choices, we need to we all make choices. We all make decisions. And we all mess up, but we need to be convicted in our heart that we need to make right choices. We need to make right choices. And, and that God is the one who ought to be the one who influences more than any soundbite we might hear on any 
radio station, TV commercial, whatever it might be, that God is the one who governs how we make choices. If God doesn't influence us after we leave this place and how we live, then this is a wasted hour or hour and a half or whatever time you spend here. That God influences every part of who we are. Third point. Don't make a bad thing worse, so take responsibility. So what happens after uh, we, we hear this, this challenge by, by um, Sarai to Abram to, to be involved in this activity? Look at, uh, we'll just read on from verse 3. Then, then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her, her maid, and Egypt and the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And by the way, it's interesting. Have you ever heard this phrase? You ought to be old enough uh, to know better. Anybody ever heard that one? Abram was 85 and Sarai was 75. They were old enough to know better. And sometimes we feel after a while, you know, I kind of got my act together. I don't really have to be that careful about temptation or things that might draw me to make a bad choice. You we never outgrow the ability to make bad choices. Anyone want to say amen to that? Okay. Um, yeah, my, just talk to my wife if you want a little bit of confirmation on that. All right. Verse 4. So he went into Agar and she conceived. Now, interesting enough, listen to what happens. And, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. See, immediately what happens is she now gets the, the, the consequences of her actions. Here you have Sarai, no child. Now you have Hagar with child. Who now looks a little better in the, in the surrounding culture? Hagar, because she has now birthed a male child. And she looks at Sarah and says, hey, I, you know, there's something wrong with you because you can't bear children. But look at me. I can bear children. How did that make Sarah feel? Absolutely horrible. Not only horrible, she became lividly angry. Verse 5. Then Sarah said, Abram, my wrong is upon you. Now, initially, she blamed God for not having a child. Now, who is she blaming for Hagar having a child? Abram. All right. And obviously, he was there when it happened. But whose who's, who's influence started that all? It was Sarai. But now what happens is she turns the finger on him. And in many ways, rightfully so, because he could have said no. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. <laughs> all right, you decide. Who do you want? What's going to go on here? Who do you think God wants you to stay with? See, what had happened now is... The choice that Sarai had made and Abram had made had been wrong. Now what they were going to do is they were going to make a bad thing worse because she was going to send her out because she was so angry at her. Verse 6, so Abram said to Sarah, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And again, here now, Abram is again abdicating any kind of leadership in the home. I'm sorry. If, if, if you have a problem with this, do whatever you want. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a whole lot of spiritual leadership in that home, right? He, he was so afraid to be on the other side of Sarah. Now, again, he compels his bad decision before by making another bad decision to, to relate with the bad decision she wanted to have happen. And so what happened? And then Sarah dwelt, dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her presence. Basically, they kicked her out of the home. Now... We need to realize that when she got kicked out of the home, she couldn't just go across the street to somebody else's home. 
She had no means by which she could uh, have a living. She had no means by which she could survive. And now she was to go back home, which was basically to Egypt. And we're going to see probably in the text, at least imply in the text, that there was no way she was going to get there. So this decision now that she had made that brought this child into this world. And let me just say this. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. There are some illegitimate parents, but there's no such thing as an illegitimate child. And we're going to see this confirmed because the angel of the Lord, probably a, to use a theological term, a theophany, a, a pre-incarnate demonstration of God's presence, uh, appears to them as an angel of the Lord to affirm that this child who would create all kinds of problems for the chosen people of God was affirmed by God. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. And what they had now done is they had made a bad thing worse. Now, here, here's what I want is I, I want to I take a sidebar for a moment. Would, would we be willing to admit that there have been some choices made in our country over the last number of generations that have made some things um, produce a rather struggling nation morally and spiritually uh, in the United States. And, and all I would say about that, we, we don't know what the hand of God is going to do in our nation. But we as God's people should not just sit idly and allow a bad thing to become worse. One of the things that we have urged you, and hopefully you're using those uh, personal time with God every week, and hopefully you're getting kind of the idea that, that we ought to broaden our prayer list Sometimes we only pray about those things that are personally touching us that, that, that we can put a face and a name to it. Is that one of the things we ought to always be doing, and we urge you on Thursday to pray for those in authority. And whomever is in office, we need to be praying for them. But we, we are left in a, in a country in which we need to realize that, that we have the freedom to make choices. And I think we ought, ought, all ought to be just praising God that we live in this kind of country. But as we have the opportunity to make choices, let's make right choices. I, I was looking at some of the famous addresses that have been made and, and, and written documents in our country. And, you know, looking at the, the Gettysburg Address. And, and the last line, the Gettysburg Address, is this. For this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. We, we are part of that whole leadership governmental process. The government is not some, something out there. We are part of that. Of the people, by the people, for the people. Now, what's the purpose of government? And I don't have time to, to look at this in any detail. But let me just give you the broad brushes as I understand the scripture teaching clearly about. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, it talks about that, that governments are allowed to come into power by the hand of God. But we need to understand that what God, what God allows isn't necessarily what God always approves. But he very plainly says, and as he writes this to, to Paul, in, as Paul writes this uh, to the, the people in, in Rome, the church at Rome, uh, they are under Nero. They, they have a horrible leadership uh, uh, in the Roman Empire. But he says that, that, that God has given government primarily two responsibilities. Uh, and I think it's one's implied and one is stated. One is to know what is evil. And then secondly, to punish what is evil. 
that, that's as probably as, as fundamental a role as the government. Because if you don't have that, you have anarchy. You have everybody doing that which is right in their own eyes. And you have chaos in the land. And basically what every culture, every society, every nation has to do is say, what things are going to be right in our country and what things are we going to uh, decide very clearly is wrong. And, and, and then we are going to make sure that those who are in the wrong get the consequences for their actions and those that are in the right are approved. That's fundamentally what a government has to do is to be a, a, a nation of laws and, and then under law. Well, what has happened recently in our country? Uh, it, what has happened, it, it, uh, I've got it written, in, uh, one of the passages written down as far as just the reference. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And, and what we have now is a, 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 a significant portion of people in our society, in the political arena, who are doing Isaiah 5.20. They are, they are calling evil good and good evil. Now, as Christians, we, we are not to be overly, overly uh, obsessive compulsive about politics. But on the other extreme, we, we should not be uh, apolitical or apolitical, which means thinking that it has nothing to deal with our faith. And, and there are all kinds of convictions I have in terms of the direction our country is going. But the one that, that burdens me most is where we're going morally and about the most fundamental things in our society. And we need to think through what we do and then decide reverently what to do. And as we think about choices, when we refuse to make a choice, we make a choice by absentee. A non-choice is a choice. And we need to think what we're doing when we are participants in this particular nation. Now, there is a particular, uh, there's, a, there's a particular political party that had, the, both of them had their natural, uh, national convic- uh, conventions. And if, if you're not aware, they have a platform. This is a platform in which they say, this is, this is what our political party believes in and supports and promotes. And just speaking about the positions, it's just amazing that, that sometimes I'm thinking about believers not even thinking through what they're voting for if they go down this path. For instance, one party supports the free condoms, what I would call for fornication at will. They feel that our country needs to support, uh, from a medical perspective, the passing out of free condoms so that people can have sex whenever they want it. Now, when we think about illegitimate children, there aren't any such things as illegitimate children, but they're illegitimate people who birth children. And so what what one political party does is support that lifestyle doesn't believe that we can somehow steer a nation away from that, but to support it by making it easier to do. That same political party supports abortion through the ninth month. I have nothing wrong with saying I am pro-choice unless you add pro-right, unless you're within that thinking pro the right choice. And... As we think about our nation, 
we believe that our creator has given us some inalienable rights, and that is the pursuit of life, liberty, and justice. There is a whole element in our human population that is not giving the right to have life. And the, the statistics for that is just overwhelming. Yeah, globally, I don't know, 55 to 56 million babies are aborted every year. In America, it's between, depending on which person you look at, between 1.2 and 1.5 million people, uh, children are aborted. That, that works out to be about 4,000 a day. That's, if you work it out, about one out of every three pregnancies are aborted. Uh, just Planned Parenthood, they, they're directly involved in, in the, uh, the taking of life in the womb every 95 seconds. And there's a a political party that supports that up through the ninth month. And and there, depending upon who's doing this, it impacts not only that life in the womb, but the one who gives up that life in the womb. Once once that I read said it's between 400 and 800% more likely for a, a mother who has had an abortion to take her own life, suicide, when that experience happens to her. And the, the impact even physically, the, the onset of, of breast cancer goes up tremendously higher when that physical procedure is done on a mother. And yet we have a, a whole segment of our nation that is trying to be involved in leadership, and that is on their platform. But let's just look at what the Bible says about marriage between a man and a woman. And what happens, in, and usually when, when debates happen, they'll say, when the slippery slope analogy is used. They say, oh, that could never happen. Have you ever heard that? And let's take the whole issue of, I'm just throwing this in for free, is that if you look at promoting same-sex marriage, and say, okay, and it's really, it's on personal rights issues. Well, why don't they, why can't, why are you denying them that same right? Well, well, one one, that's not a right. You're redefining that which has been true for 6,000 recorded human history, that marriage is between a, a man and a woman. But changing all of world history is that, okay, w- what are we going to do for the person who says, well, I, I want to have more than one wife. I want to have two wives, three wives, four wives, five wives. Are we going to deny them the right to have that as well? And if that is not horrific enough, how about, how about let's just change the... the um, the age requirement. Okay, how about uh, if I want to have a, a, a spouse that's uh, 10 years old or 9 years old or 8 years old or 6 years old? Why deny myself the right to have a spouse at any age? But, but this is look at what's happened recently. And, and I think it's September 21st, 1996. Um, our government leadership signed into law DOMA. The Defense of the Marriage Act. And when that happened, both houses almost unanimously voted for that. And 
And that DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, was defined put this way, that, that, that marriage in America would be defined as one woman and one man, and, and that would be the federal law and the interstate regulations throughout our nation. And then it was signed in by Bill Clinton. Since 1996 until now, has there anything been done scientifically that should change that viewpoint? Nothing. It was almost unanimously put into law. And and now that's that same political party that I'm talking about. They have now come out publicly and say, well, why it's still on the books, we will unenthusiastically go by its regulations, but we will not defend it in any way, shape, or form. And and that one political party we're talking about, uh, until one of the last days of their convention, they had chosen not to put God in their political platform at all. Now, let me ask you, if your faith influences your choices, and and you have, just on a moral perspective, have a political party that influences those who are voted within that particular party, and that's on their platform. Let me ask you, what's worse, to participate in sin or to be in that place where you are teaching that that sin is not sin? I present to you, that it is much greater to be in a position of leadership and teach that sin is not sin than even to participate in it. Now, we will be judged for both, but woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There's one statistic that among identifiable Christian women, only 30% of them vote. we're going we're gonna to look at the expression of God's grace to us at the, at the Lord's table. And we, as God's people, we get so much better than we deserve. And, and every sin imaginable that, that horrifically can be done by man have been done by believers. And it's by God's grace that he continues, forgives us, and cleanses us from sin. But the issue is, is we, we definitively believe that the Bible has authority. And we're not imposing our faith on people, but within a free country, we can stand for that which is righteous and moral and have our influence as best we can. Now, no matter what happens in November, we are still to pray for those in leadership. We are to be as submissive as possible until they enforce us or force us to to break God's standards. And, And we are to be light in the midst of darkness. But we are, to be, we are to be shown by our lives that we are Christ's followers. And every decision that we make should be influenced by our faith in the conviction of God's word. People can be of faith in any political party that they are in. But the issue is, who is leading them to make the choices and adopt the platforms that they have committed themselves to? God wants us to understand it's never right to do wrong. He wants us to understand that we should should be a people that are careful who we're listening to, who has the ultimate authority. We should be a people that don't make bad things worse. 
And even as we are living in a free country, we need to be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. This part of the chapter I'm not going to talk about, but just tell you, is this. The story goes on as Hagar goes out into the wilderness. And quite frankly, the decision that Sarai and Abram approved in terms of letting her go, probably you could have said would, would have resulted in infanticide. It, it's, not, it's not abortion. The, the life was in the womb, but it was life outside of the womb because Hagar would not have made it back to Egypt. The angel of the Lord appears to her and says, what's going on? And Hagar tells the story. And it's interesting, at this point, he didn't overly um, sympathize with her. He said, what you need to do is you need to go back to Sarai and be submissive. And what he's saying there, by adding an action, part of your predicament right now is caused by your attitude towards Sarai. Go back, be submissive, and I will preserve you and your child. And goes on to say how his child is going to be, uh, is going to be blessed. And, and the point here is that we need to realize, even in the midst of that, of being with people who do us wrong, we still ought to show respect and to be submissive to those things that are of not a moral area, that we, we're not disobeying God as we obey them. And then finally, as she experiences this in Genesis chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, the idea here is, is she, she gives God, who she has just experienced, a name. You are the God who sees. And the, the idea I wanted to share with you this morning was simply this. When you think no one really sees what's happening in you, remember, God sees. And ultimately, when we get in a little booth, and we're in there privately, and that's the way it should be. And maybe no one else is looking, and you don't need to tell anybody how you voted. But let me tell you, there's someone who does know how you voted, and who is it? It's God. And, and, and we need to understand that God not only catches us when we do something wrong, but he also catches us when we do something right. And, and, and so we, we, God delights in that. And God is the one who cares as well as he sees. And so what are we left with this morning? God wants us to be responsible, responsible for the decisions, the choices that we make to do them influenced by our faith and our conviction in God's word about what is right. Do I put my faith on, you know, whether someone rides a donkey or an elephant? Of course not. Have people on both sides of the aisle done horrific things? Of course they have. And ultimately, we only trust in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But as we go through life, and this is just one part of life, every part of our life ought to be influenced by our faith. And the reason is because our faith is based on that which is eternal. And in just a few moments, we invite you to remember the Lord. Remember what he's done for you and put your trust fully and completely in him. Let's pray. Father, we've looked at so many things this morning, and, and, and as, as we try to bring it home in a time of a reflection and worship and a remembrance of what your Son has done for us, Father, might we, might we recognize that the, the choice of your Son, who even prayed, not my will, but yours be done, and asked that the cup would be removed from him, that he chose to do that which was which was right and holy and in the will of God. Father, might we be a people of 
conviction and praise as we remember what the Lord has done for us. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.